Hello and welcome to the Selfish Podcast. In today's episode we have Jackie Naaman Jones and I'm excited to get to know her and hear her story, her journey of life. So welcome Jackie. Can you share with the audience where in the world you are and what time of day is it for you? Uh, let's see, it's uh, 8.30 in the morning and I'm in. I'm on the west coast of the United States. I live it rains a lot. <laughs> okay. Nice. I'm I don't know if you know I'm currently in the south of Spain and it's uh it's evening yeah. time for me. It's five thirty in the afternoon, but I think it's beautiful we can connect in an instance. I'm always curious to know where the guests are from and even where the listeners are from. So it's always nice just to know how yes. much reach you have. Yes, I talked to somebody from uh London a couple of weeks ago and it's interesting how you know, different times of day, but we can work it out that uh, it's not uncomfortable for anybody. <laughs> yeah. And when, when I was younger, I was fascinated with the, I, I never had one, but I was fascinated with the idea of a pen pal. And I used to think, oh, you could like write to someone in Australia or France or America. And months later, you might hear back. And now, like, you can just do it in an instant. Seems right. it's like happened so quickly. Yeah. 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 There was no internet or anything when I like that when I was growing up. Yeah. What I like to do with my guests to get to know them a bit more is to go back a little bit and hear about their childhood. Can you paint me a picture of what was going on in your life, where you grew up, what your parents did pre-10 years old? Uh, before 10, yeah. I uh, Well, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, I remember as a three-year-old, my father coming home, he'd gone to... Um, Dallas to see President Kennedy and uh, he got home and as soon as he got home the news came on that President Kennedy had been shot and I I remember that still you know even though I was only three years old because it was so impactful for everyone wow. here in this country. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've, I heard recently someone say, like, I, I don't know what they called it, but they called it these moments in time that people remember where they was, what they were doing, and it was JFK, 9-11, and when they first heard about COVID. <laughs> and that was like, yeah. these these things set such an imprint. So, yeah, that you even remember that as young as three years old. Right, yeah, yeah, 9-11, that's, I mean, yeah, that that was, so many people know what they were doing in that moment. <laughs> you know, I remember where I was as well. But um yeah, so I was three and then when we when I was four, my family moved to El Paso, Texas, which is in the southwest, it's in the desert, right on the border of Mexico. And El Paso is literally on the border. Uh we used to go over into Juarez, Mexico for dinner, you know, a couple times mm. a month. And I remember as a freshman in high school, my mother was a teacher. So I remember at least once uh, ditching school and walking over the border as a 13-year-old girl <laughs> and hanging out, you know, all day on the streets of Juarez so that the truant officers wouldn't catch me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of doing it. Um, <laughs> I think I was lucky to survive a lot of risky things I did growing up. But then, let's see, so four, from four years old to a teenager, we lived in El Paso, and my father was the executive director of the South El Paso Boys Club for his job. Um, but he was also an artist and uh, had this wonderful studio space, a little rock house in the backyard. Um, we lived in a house that had been built in the late 1800s. It was a foot wall thick adobe, you know, built for the Southwest for the desert and the heat because it uh, holds coolness better. So this little rock house was his studio. And uh, he was also very involved in local theater. So I grew up uh, watching him in his studio, he did everything from painting and sculpting in clay. He had a welding torch. He made things from metal. I, I remember coming home from school and my mom bringing me home from school. She was doing laundry and she went out to hang the, hang the laundry on the line. And 
one of the laundry poles was gone because he needed <laughs> something, some material for a sculpture he was working on. So he went and he cut it down with his welding torch. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was not very happy. Uh, so so he, he was involved in theater. My mother was a teacher, but she was also very creative. She sewed and we were practical people. So she made most of my clothing growing up, but I also, she taught me to sew and I took classes. And um, so when I got older, I started making my own clothes so I could wear the latest fashions without having to spend the money or, you know, without having the money to spend. And, um, but in the theater, my dad was, uh, he was awarded uh, best actor of the year award four times during the like 10 or 12 years that we lived there. And this one play in 1966 in particular, he played the role of uh, Henry the fourth in the play, Henry the fourth, he played the lead and he won best actor. And in that particular play, there was a guy who had written a script for a movie and nobody was making movies in the Southwest in those days. And this guy wrote this script and uh, he looked around and saw everybody he needed of the male characters to fill the roles of his film. So he invited all these guys and uh, they accepted because, you know, they're actors. Why not? And anyway, we'll go on into that later in the interview, I, I suppose. But yeah, it's, no, it's really fascinating to because like there's such uh, sort of diversity and creativity around you at such a young age and it makes me think like especially and it's also with your mother being a teacher like in your school life and you said you was truing and escaping school sometimes so how, how was school and how was school having like such an artistic parent and a parent that's also a teacher and how, how was your school life uh well it was challenging because we lived um in a you know el paso is uh, largely Hispanic, and and we're not Hispanic. We were, my family bought a home in a middle class, lower middle class neighborhood, and uh, we were the only non-Hispanic family in the neighborhood, and especially in my elementary school, I don't really recall any other kids like me, and um, so I was, I was, kind of bullied and um, felt outcast a lot growing up. I was on my own a lot. I was a very independent kid. We lived right up against the mountain uh, and the mountain, the, uh, Mount Franklin, it had um, a road around it called Scenic Drive up at the top and a lookout so that you could go up there at night to see the city lights and to, uh, you could see the dark ribbon of the Rio Grande River and the different wattage of the lights across the river in Mexico. It was just beautiful. And uh, so I'd climb, sometimes I would spend my days climbing the mountain, just spending the day on the mountain. And I was always such an observant kid. So I'd find shells, you know, from ancient, ancient times when, when water covered that part of the world. And, and I'd find crystals and, all kinds of things, you know, and I've always been that kind of a person, very observant. I was kind of quiet, so I just picked up a lot of information. But, but my dad's art was uh, was uh, he did a lot of very large paintings, and um, and he was a very deeply emotional person, and. Uh, there's a real darkness about him. So it came through in his art, but he also did a lot of uh, nudes. And so some of the kids, they befriended me and uh, I, I kind of figured it out. But so some of the kids, I had a few friends, but some of them befriended me so that they could get inside our house. They just wanted to see what we had because it was so different. From their homes, you know, very strict Catholic homes, yeah. and then there's our house, you know, where we have Playboy magazine on the coffee table, you know, in the front room. So, 
so yeah, I was kind of an oddity. And um, as I got older, I just embraced that. I know I'm different. I'm unique. And, uh, you know, I celebrate that I'm an artist. I've been self-employed most all of my life. I raised my children as a single mother uh, with my, my art, my talent. I, I did high-end uh, faux finishes, interiors, uh, wall treatments, murals, uh, plaster, all kinds of things for almost 30 years. Oh, nice. And that's what my next question was actually going to be. Like, what, what was your sort of first dream and ambition? So I'm curious, was that something when you was a really young child that you knew you wanted to do something in the sort of creative sense? Like, did you, do you remember your first ambition or dream or thing you wanted to do, be or become? Yes, I always wanted to to do art. I always wanted to be an artist, and uh, and I was very interested in acting because with my dad rehearsing or working, and later he became uh, executive director of the theater, so he was there all the time, and I knew every corner of that place. I just loved it. I that's how I learned to read was uh, running lines for my dad. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I feel very, very fortunate um, that I've had a lot of opportunities. And, and now because of that crazy film that my dad made back in 1966, um, they needed a child. So my dad had one of those and I was six years old. So I, I was the little girl in the movie and they needed a dog and we had a dog with the right look. We had a Doberman. And, uh, although he had the right look, he was, you could tell he wasn't, uh, a very vicious dog. You know, he's yeah. he just <laughs> wanted to play and wiggle, you know, he's so cute. And, um, my mom made costumes and my dad did all the sets, the props. I mean, uh, a huge part on it. The, the director, producer, writer guy really found the right guy. But oh, uh, the name of the film is uh, Manos, The Hands of Fate. And if anyone in your audience has heard of Mystery Science Theater 3000, has probably heard of this film, or at least they understand that it's got to be a bad movie if they're <laughs> showing it, because that's their specialty mystery science scene. okay nice no, interesting and what was your what was your sort of memories being six years old and on some sort of film set and in that area what was your like what was your feelings at that time of what was going on well it's great it was um the whole thing was it was so low budget and such a small cast and crew that it cracks me up every time i see it the end the credits are inflated with made up names to make it look more <laughs> professional. There was um, maybe 15 people involved altogether, but it was shot in about the space of eight days, nights and weekends mostly. And so and it was out in the desert at this old uh, house and uh, pretty remote. So if I was in any of the scenes for the day's shoot. So I was there for the whole time, basically, because he was the lead. So, and I was in a lot of the scenes. So, so I was there a lot. And, and I just found it really interesting um, being the only kid on set and being left to myself. So you can imagine a six year old out in the desert at night. <laughs> <laughs> doing whatever she wanted and you know if I got tired I'd I'd take a nap in the back seat of one of the cars or something you know but oh nice yeah and it also makes me think like when it comes to sort of creative arts whether that's painting movie making or a musician or any form of sort of art where someone says I'm gonna do that for my career um often they're met by a lot of obstacles of other people saying you have to follow a sort of certain structure and format you know and that's not a real job or that's, that's not, uh, what's the word? It's not got enough, uh, not foundation, but consistency in, in workflow. And that gives a lot of fear to a lot of people. Did you, yeah. And you said your, it sounds like your mum was artistic as well. So how, did you notice with their relationship, did you learn anything from how they managed to like be together while one of them's highly creative? Or was it because they both were? 
Um, well, my mom, my mother is definitely more academic. I mean, she came from a family of educators and teachers, but she was very creative. And, um, I mean, they divorced. My dad ended up moving to California and, uh, I followed him. So I left my, my mother and little sister behind and went to California, um, and continued being artistic and, I was fortunate to a school that had a very strong uh, art and drama department. And those are still, to this day, some of the two of my most influential teachers. Um, Mr. Tackett, who was my theater teacher, drama teacher, um, he was a, uh, I think at that time, he was like a sixth degree in black belt black belt in karate and he had studied with bruce lee so he was um he was a wonderful teacher and and we do tai chi in class to relax and to you know he really helped me grounding in my life uh as as a teenager my father was very depressed in those days and and suicidal and so it was hard. It was it was tough, you know, for me. I was I've always been so independent, and and you say, you know, that finding a career, or doing something, of having a passion for something that's not mainstream is can be difficult because you know you end up with a lot of doubt about yourself, and other people question you, but. My uh, independence and stubbornness, I think, is what really got me through is that it's it's a positive and a negative that I do best when I'm under some pressure, when I have that will all show you attitude, which, you know, is I don't have to live that way all the time. <laughs> and uh, I'm learning that. I mean, I'm almost 63 years old and I'm finally realizing that I need to give myself a break and and every now and then I can step outside myself and see just what it is I'm accomplishing when I feel like I'm so scattered because yeah just finding that uh, you know I had some health issues this last year that were really surprising because I've always been strong and healthy and so it was a real wake-up call that you know living under that putting your, that kind of pressure on yourself all the time is just not good for you. It's not good for your body. And there's just so much more I want to do. So I'm learning how to uh, cut myself a break a little bit. But in the meantime, I've been saying this for a while that I'm at this tipping point. Everything I've been, I've had several successful businesses, but right now things are just really taking off all at once and so uh, I just keep telling myself keep breathing just breathe it's okay <laughs> you know it's like be careful what you wish for because you're getting it <laughs> yeah no it's, it's interesting because what, what comes to mind is and it's relevant to a few of my recent podcasts as well is what you were saying with the teacher that you had that you was doing tai chi and you know certain martial arts sort of practices to ground yourself and part of my daily practice is i do uh, forms of tai chi and uh, kai gong and things to center myself right. and a lot of people look at say martial arts and think oh you do that to fight um i used to I was influenced highly by Bruce Lee in my early life and oh, it wasn't yeah. it was it was actually the philosophy and to sort of you're learning to fight your own inner demons in a way and and learning yeah. to sort of get your body into a good state and similar to you when you're saying about that pressure I spent so many years feeling that I had to encourage myself um, and I thought it was self-encouragement but it was like an inner dictator and I was whipping myself to do things yes, so dictator. yes that's a good way to put it and I was so ambitious but I thought I was like that's what's got me to do everything that I've done so it must be correct even though what I was doing was falling apart but I was like it would have been worse if I wasn't that way and it took a long time um, and life to fall apart even more for me mm -hmm. to state of real isolation and realize that that inner voice isn't actually doing me any favors and sort of kick it out the room for a while and say so you're only allowed back in when you're a nice kind compassionate voice that i want ah, around 
<laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'm uh, finding my compassion for myself more. Yeah. And and that was like a big part of my process. Like I had to go through a whole development of inner self-love and then turning that into inner unconditional love for myself because I was so set on my expectations. And I think similarly to you, so highly driven and ambitious. Um, but then that means you have to expect that you're going to fulfill them ambitions. And if you don't, here comes another whip to make sure you do it better next time. <laughs> And, um, yeah, yeah, but if you're so busy doing that all the time, then you can't enjoy the ride, you know. Yeah. Are you doing it if you if it's not for the love of it? So, yeah. And yeah. another thing that woke me up big time was um, my dearest lifetime friend. I mean, we we met in that drama class in high school, and um, and Mr. Tackett, our teacher. I remember when she walked into class and he me aside and on the stage and he says, you know, I, I have a feeling you two are going to get along. And we just like fell in love immediately. You know, we were inseparable best friends. We got in, uh, well, we didn't get in trouble, but we got away with a lot of stuff, you know, <laughs> she, she was the one with these crazy ideas. And I was always the one that went, okay, let's do it. You know, <laughs> and, uh, what adventures we had, but she died suddenly just like three weeks ago. And, and, uh, I've been going through pictures and boxes and I just, I'm finding pictures of us throughout like 46 years and we've been part of each other's lives and and those special times you know weddings graduations births of our children and you know it's um it's a real wake-up call I feel her with me every day and and so now I feel and she was an artist as well and it's just giving me even more determination to uh, feeling I have this encouragement and support, you know, even though I can't see her standing in front of me, I know she's there. Yeah, no. And uh, what comes to me, like, cause I, I remember and I was, I wasn't friends for as long as you, cause it was both you. I lost my best friend when we were 19, he died in a car crash. Mm. And oh, um, yeah. I, I remember how sort of traumatic it was, but I was always, and I don't know how much you know of my story. Like I grew up uh, with a lot of chaos in my home. My mom had severe schizophrenia and she was a single parent and we went through lots of poverty and it was really stressful and made me suicidal yeah. from a young age and depressed and everything. But it gave me a real heightened mm -hmm. awareness to my environment. So I was really always analyzing everything. And I remember yes. when he passed um, and then shortly after another one of my really good friends passed and, the wow. second one was an open casket and because he was Indian and they had a totally different tradition and it fascinated me because I was just looking at how everyone's processing this death. But I remember looking at his body in the casket and he's like 19, 20 years old. And they've sort of freshened him up with makeup and things. And I was just yeah. looking and I was like, why are we walking around? That's not him. He's gone. Like, that's his body. Uh, it's, yeah. But it's not him. Whatever he is, isn't there. And that just gave me a little insight in my younger life to the, like, the body isn't what's important but the life they are is important and how I yeah. reflect back on my friends now is I see it and, and my mother passed really recently as well and I look back and I'm like what did I love so much about these people that it caused me some turmoil when they weren't around once then their life's not there what did I really love about them and then mm -hmm. I see that as whatever that was is what I'm meant to take and reflect back to others so I would ask you what what did you love so much about your friend of 40 years? Yeah, she, um, wow. She was always there for me no matter what, you know? Yeah. And I was always, uh, but yeah, just working hard not to have any re regret that we weren't more in contact because she had, uh, in the year before, survived cancer, and uh, she'd been going through a hard time, and she was just, I mean, I celebrate now that she was uh, coming out of this. She'd, she'd 
her cancer was gone and she was moving us with friends and she said she was so happy because they smoked weed, you know, and hmm. she'd been living with her son and daughter-in-law and they wouldn't let her. <laughs> uh, so she was really, she's like a little kid again. And that's, yeah, what I loved so much about her was I was always the dark depressed when my father was suicidal. And, and uh, that's why I moved to California with him because I was terrified he was going to kill himself. So I moved to keep him alive that was I, I made it my job mm-hmm. and and i determined at that young age like you is uh that i didn't want to be here if he if he was gone i wasn't gonna stay i had oh i had a couple backup plans on how i was gonna get rid of myself you know and follow him and uh yeah, and then Betty was always, no matter what, she always had this beautiful smile. She was always joking. She was always funny. And uh, she balanced out the darkness of me, you know, and I think I helped tone her down so she wasn't quite so bizarre <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I mean, we we really felt like we were two parts of of one broader being yeah no it's, it's so interesting just because uh, i can relate so much my friends uh, who passed my best friend he was like almost the complete opposite opposite of me in so many ways he was <laughs> always smiling like people like thought he's like this big teddy bear girls just wanted to hug him and be around him they didn't want to date him so much but they loved him <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and i was always the depressed serious one people thought <laughs> i was scary or threatening and i'm like no i'm a nice person but i'm just a bit angry inside and yeah i've got a lot going on in my life but i didn't express any sort of smile um and and he just had all this but he was also a bit careless and he would do the reason he died is he got in a car Mm -hmm. with a 14 year old and they were smoking loads of weed and they crashed Mm -hmm. and i would i would never make that choice i would never get in a car with a 14 year old full stop when we were like 19 but it's like typical of his behavior and um Mm. it's part of like when he when he was with me his parents loved it when he was with me because they're like they knew that i was much more grounded and had ambitions and gave him that structure and I look back now and I'm like, I didn't get it at the time, but right now he's gifted me so much with the importance of that smile, that mm-hmm. just being a bit more flexible and free will and not do silly things, but not also hold yourself back to being so strict and grounded. And um, yeah. man, he, and he, he became such a gift to my life. And I, and I wonder if he, mm-hmm. if he didn't pass, whether I even would have learned that lesson, you know, but because it was such an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and he, so, yes, no, like you said, with your friend, maybe it's just reassuring you the importance of that smile, that joy and that loyalty, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I see her a lot. And, oh, and I told her son, I, I, I mean, like, she's just been around. And, and if if I didn't get the message the first time, then she'll show another message like, um. Yeah, so I live on this. I sold my house, my kids. It's um, it's a over a hundred year old farmhouse, and I have a back property that's attached to that property, and I'm living in the RV on the back property, mm. so that I'm near my kids and and my grandkids. But so I walk between the RV and the house a lot. You know, I'm over there almost every day at some point, but about, let's see, what was it? It was, I'm trying to think what the three things were. So less than a a week after she died, I was walking across the yard and I looked down and there's this thing. I don't know if you've heard, seen the cartoon, uh, I think it's Rick and Morty. And uh, heard of it and I know what it looks like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Rick's like this crazy mad scientist. Well, I look down and there's, uh, it's like glass. Somebody's made this glass figurine and I don't know what it is. It looks like maybe it's a a top to a bottle or something. I, I don't know, like a stopper, but it's Rick, you know, and made of glass. And it was just laying face up on the pathway between the rv and the house and i'm like well that's weird because there's never 
anybody other than the family on the property. I mean, nobody would just walk through. So I took it in the house and I showed everybody, you know, that in the house and the kids and nobody'd seen it. They didn't know what it was. I mean, they knew what it was, but they didn't know where it came from. So I thought, well, that's odd. And it didn't occur to me. And then, um, let's see, what was it? A couple days later, I'm trying to remember. Oh, I know it was St. Patrick's day and I was going to my studio. I had this beautiful room in this beautiful old building. I live in a town of a thousand people, very small logging community in Western Oregon. And, uh, so I was walking down to my studio, which is just a third of a mile from my house. And, uh, and on the, on the pathway to the door, to the front door of the building, there was, um, a painted rock with a shamrock on it, a green shamrock. Hmm. And I picked it up and I thought, that's funny. I, I mean, I've been painting and for years, you know, I live on a river. There's a beautiful river here. So I collect these stones and I paint them and I keep them in my pocket and I, I try to leave them. And when my dog was still living, we did it almost every day. So this is the first time I've ever found a stone that I didn't paint, you know? (laughs) And I thought, so I picked it up and I, and I still didn't get it, you know? And then a couple days later, I'm walking across the yard again and I look down and there's this little round thing with, uh, it's green and it had, I mean, it's beautiful. It, it was like um, little pieces of glass kind of uh, like tile on the back, you know, it was round and I turned it over and it was a little mirror and it, but it had the green uh, frame and everything. And, and then I looked in it and it hit me so hard. I'm like, Oh my God, it's Betty. She's, fucking with me (laughs) and and the other thing is that for me my number is threes I always I can I remember thing in threes you know like lists or I always find things in threes there's certain if I find something I always know I'm going to find two more you know (laughs) but so there's three things it was the third one it hit me that it was her letting me know that she's still around because the mirror It was almost like she is saying, what do I have to do to get you to get this? Because I looked in it and I have green eyes. And that was one of the big things she always said through all those years. She always called me green eyes and she'd make comments about my eyes because she had big brown eyes. And uh, so here I'm holding this little green mirror looking at my green eyes. (laughs) And it was a green shamrock. And then I go and I'm like, well, what's this little character thing? So I looked it up, Rick and Morty. And it was crazy because Rick is this mad scientist and and the things that he's interested in, that's her. She was very interested in science and space. And I mean, her dad had w- worked for NASA when she was a child, you know? So uh, it was just blows me away. Yeah, you know it's, it's nice and like i see that also is like she's give it like it's like a message to you like a don't let the sort of mad scientist in you get down from the situation and keep your luck up you know with the clover and the mirror to look yeah. at yourself and make sure you're That's keeping right. your eyes sparkling yeah and you know you just said that keep the luck up but in terms of the you know the lucky clover but i was just thinking of it being green but yeah, yeah, a lot of, and my art is very symbolic. You know, I'm, I love symbolism and I read a lot of it into things. You know, I, I think things deeply like you do. So, you know, yeah. you, there's always so many layers. Yeah. And I, I do the same even to minor degrees, like uh, with my, uh, like YouTube thumbnails or posts or anything where I can do a little bit of creative art. I, I put something 
like I showed my love Danielle and I was like, what do you see in this? And she, she won't see almost nothing. And I'm like, no, that means this, this means this. And there's like at least 10 or 12 different meanings that I've layered in there in shapes and colors and what that I associate them mm. to. And I said, no, that's painting. She's like, oh, I didn't even know that. She goes, oh, that's really good. And I was like, yeah, but really only I really know that, but it's nice. <laughs> but like, it's, yeah. like, you can put so much into something so small when it's personal. You can. And even when people don't consciously off or if it's if you're on target and other people can feel it it's a it's a sense you know when I did faux finish in people's homes I know I know how good I am with color and balance and uh there were so many jobs I did where (laughs) I'd step back from the wall or and I'd have the client next to me and we'd both go wow (laughs) Do you have a website? Do you have a place where other people can see that your artwork? Yeah, I have my Etsy store, a Facebook page called Jackie's Art. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, what type of art do you have on there? Oh, uh, well, for one thing, uh, that movie I was in is a, it's a cult classic. It's famously known as the worst movie ever made, <laughs> which it's not, <laughs> but <laughs> the fans yeah. love it. And, um, and, the the cloak that my father wore in the film is iconic and my mother made it so i make uh custom signed and numbered master's robes he was the master and i've sold 38 so far uh, i made one for a guy from england who was six foot eight yeah and i saw but then my art i I love uh, reclaiming things that are destined for destruction, like old doors and old window frames. And because I live in a place that has a lot of those things, I started collecting them. I'd see them getting ready to be burned up, you know, on a burn pile. And I would ask if I could have it. So I ended up with this collection of like hundred year old doors and window frames. And so the doors I with this my skill saw I cut them into panels and then the outside of the panel is the frame and the inside I do a thin plaster like Venetian plaster texture and then I paint my art on those so I start wondering if somehow I'm picking up something from its history you know um but if it has if the the paint is crackled and coming off then i enhance that quite popular now i seem to see it's a growing thing because it makes sense to reclaim and to try and be more sustainable instead of keep creating new fresh things and discarding so much stuff i think there's a big market now for people that appreciate um the reuse value or something yeah yeah and uh i'm looking forward to i have this studio space for the last several months and i've um how things have changed for me so rapidly in that time just having this wonderful space to work in and interview podcasts i i can do uh you know i can do some filming in there i can do all my art and it's just and then i also teach painting classes so it has a nice big open space that i can do uh painting classes. Oh, I'm uh, I'm starting some online painting classes uh, at the end of this month and um, getting subscribers, but they're mystery science related painting classes. There'll be two hour classes that I teach online. And um, you can see, see that uh, it's called the, the website is dumb into industries. So D U M B dash industries.com oh, nice. and, I'll make sure uh, to put all them links in the description as well so people can follow up on them as soon as I find my keys and get into my studio I will uh, I'll send you a bunch of links I'll send you these things through the email yeah nice and I mean it's interesting because it's like now with the last two years have affected everyone uh, I don't think anyone's managed to not be affected in some way and uh, yeah. And like you said, I think part of that now has put you to be able to say do online work and stuff. But how how has the last two years been for you? Oh gosh, yeah, it's definitely been a challenge. I've 
had to reinvent myself. You know, I was doing a lot of uh, in-person parties, those paint and sit parties that became so popular at bars and restaurants and had uh, quite a few people. You know, we were getting 18, 20 people in classes. And uh, that was, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. You know, you think back and you're like, I don't know how I got through, but I did. (laughs) And now things are really looking up. Uh, It did help to get out of that big house and all the bills. You know, I don't, I don't know how I could have continued doing that for the last two years, but um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to things being different and yeah, it's been tough. Like for everybody, it's just been tough. It's been emotional and and difficult. And you know, you go. I hate going places. You go shopping, and you see people just standing in the aisles, looking off into space. You know, and the way people are driving, and it's strange. It's very strange times. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been very interesting to just observe. And like you said, if you're really aware and you're watching things, it's just a very bizarre and interesting observation time to see things. Uh, right. And I am but, an observer. So, <laughs> hey, and yeah. I just found my key. Oh, nice. They were hanging on a hook where I never hang them. And they were literally just two inches above my eye line. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, that's what you found. Yeah. We we have like places where we put things because my partner Danielle, she's really organized, so she's like everything has to have its place. Whereas oh, I'm like, what's you. the most? I'm like, what's the most efficient thing for me to do right now is just put something there next to me, you know, and carry on because I want to be on to the next thing. <laughs> right. I've got time to go yeah. and put it in the drawer. I'm like, that's that, oh, that's that'll take it. away a millisecond of my time. <laughs> so yeah, because like, your mind is, your brain is always on the next thing. That's, you know, I realize it's not that I'm just so absent-minded. It's just that I'm always thinking of the next thing when I put something down or, or like one time I'm talking to somebody on the phone and I'm searching madly everywhere for my phone. I'm like, where's my phone? And I realize, oh, I'm talking to you on it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got but, something, yeah, you had something I, I, in your hand and you're running around looking for what's in your hand the whole time. Yes. You just know it's yeah. this right there. Yeah. I started putting my keys in my back pocket. I thought, oh, that if I put them there, I was like, I always know they're in my back pocket. And as soon as I did that, every time I forgot that's what my new plan was. So I'd search every pocket. And then Danielle would say, if you checked your back pocket, and then I'd look, I'd go, yeah, that, that's my place I put them. And I stopped that. Um, I, never, I, could never, I could never remember that's where I put them. <laughs> it just did not work out. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have one hook by the door in the RV and I have one hook in my studio where my keys are always supposed to go. And I drill that into my head and still at least yeah. a third of the time I forget to hang them there. But I did, obviously I put them on a hook last night, just the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They still got put away. Well, I'm, I'm very, <laughs> very happy that you found them. <laughs> oh, me too. Cause I have another appointment to get to before long. <laughs> That's nice. Well, we come we come in very close to the end of the show. I have a few just fun short questions I ask every guest on the end of the show. But did you? Is there anything particular that we haven't covered that you would like to share? Oh, probably. But <laughs> no, I think we did. I think we had a great talk. I really enjoyed talking with you, and it's interesting how many things do have parallel. Yeah. No. Like. Uh, the, the aim of my podcast was to connect with people and share and to share their lives because I've spent a long time sharing my life now on YouTube and what just processes that I've been through in my life and um, I wanted to hear other people's lives and stories and there was no criteria because I think everyone's unique and everyone has an insight and I thought I'm not going to share anything because I'm trying not to come from my perspective or my feelings but if someone brings up something that I can relate an actual personal experience to then I will share it and yeah, it's just been beautiful to connect with you on on them levels and and share them experiences. It has. I, I interviewed with uh with this lovely woman yesterday, uh, Jury, and uh, and she came from some very a very difficult and abusive childhood, and and it, it's just really interesting talking to people in these different 
that had these different lives. And she said a similar thing that one of the reasons she's doing what she's doing is she wants to hear other people's stories. It heals us all and we can find that we're not alone. Yeah. And I think it's like, I think it's in our nature that we, if we didn't have say technology, we would, you'd get all your life experience from communication with other people. You know, you learn from them, you share stories, we sit around the fire and, and talk and tell really? tales or films or books, you know, all of it's about metaphors that we learn from. And I see a lot yes, of people that go to professionals and that can help to go to someone and talk. But I see also so many people that go, yeah, but they haven't had the experience that in any way that I have and they struggle to relate because of that. So I think it's important that people just share their experiences. Yeah, and that's something, God, technology, if COVID happened 20 years ago, how would we, well, we'd have telephone, but, you know, there's been times <laughs> in the past, you know, that there was no technology and and these horrible diseases and influences and things were killing all these people and people were t locked up and couldn't communicate. I mm. mean, these are hard times, but I've also, and I'm sure you have too, like right now, how would we be even having this conversation if not for the technology? I mean, I've connected with people around the world I, and opened my own eyes about the different ways people live in a way that never would have happened if it weren't yeah. for COVID. <laughs> yeah. So I think everything has its... Uh polarization so there's always something beautiful in something disgusting so it's like we can but we have the choice to look where we want to look and yeah that's yeah um let it let it go was my phrase last year recent ones and yeah it sometimes you just see something from a different angle everything has the potential to change for you yeah definitely it's beautiful. I just have these few little questions and then I'll let you go. I heard you had another appointment, but these are like sort of one answer questions. You can elaborate if you wish to, but they're pretty much one answer questions. Yeah. Do you have okay. a few minutes? Yes. Yeah. So if you had to choose one, cat or a dog? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a hard. I mean, I lost my dog a year ago on March uh, 15th, my sweet little boy. And uh, my kids got me a kitten for my birthday in July. I just, I, I miss him. I miss my little doggy every day so much, but I adore this little girl. I do miss my dog, though. I miss having a dog. I like both. I can't choose. <laughs> yeah, I always ask people because it's like, it's such a hard thing, but I find everyone, when it gets down to it, they're even slightly more towards a dog person, slightly more towards a cat person, even if they love them both. Um, yeah. But I'll let I've you off if you want. You can yeah. say both. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I could have a, if I had room for a dog, I'd have a dog also. I'd have both. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a, I'm more of a dog person and Danielle's more of a cat person, but we rescued a dog and then not long after we rescued a cat. And the cat gave Aww. birth. We actually still have all the kittens. So we have five <laughs> cats and a dog in a van. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a little bit different. But no, they're amazing. Yes. But I am more of a dog person. It's just like, I don't know what it is about them, what they do to me. But I love the cats to pieces. They're amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it is. A dog for me can just get away with anything. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> they rule the roost, the cats. What's your favorite color? Um, green. <laughs> what what excites you? Gets you motivated? Oh, music. Yeah, awesome. I have a, and I I think about it more lately because I have a new friend who's deaf and um, she can speak, so I can understand her. But I don't know sign language, and and I'd like to learn, but about it the other day we share books a lot i give her books mm -hmm. and i suggest films that have close captioning but um i just occurred to me the other day i was watching a movie and i and how much the music the background music uh brings to film and into life 
what I can't imagine what it would be like to have never experienced that. Has she been like that since birth then? She's never experienced sound. Right. Yeah, like, I suppose, but if you don't know something and you've never known it, then you don't know what you're missing at the same time, and it's a sure find a sensation of beauty in something else in a different perception, I guess, than we ever would. True, and just when you said that, that is true. I've I've heard that, you know, some deaf people, they enjoy music through the vibration, the feeling of yeah. it. Yeah, I spoke to a couple of girls who were blind, and, uh, and, and I was just mm-hmm. curious. I, sometimes I ask questions that someone else, I think, wouldn't ask because <laughs> they yeah. feel like it might be rude, whereas I'm just, I'm just curious. So I'll tell them, yeah. I'm, I'm really curious. I'm like, so when you was little, how did you play with things? I said, when I was little, it was all about the colors, you know, they're so important, all these different colors, how it looks yeah. was important. And they're like, no, no, it's all about the texture. And they said, or if you bang them together, for them, it was about the sound, banging toys together and how the texture felt is all they remember from their favorite toys. It was how it sounded if you hit it on something and how it felt made their favorite toy. Yeah, how do different, I mean, that's that whole thing about shift, you know, changing perspective. And then two people could have similar experiences. I'll show you if it was, uh, there was a, it was an actual true story, but I can't remember where I heard it from. And it was about an actual um, psychologist who had two patients and he studied them for a long time. And there were two twin brothers and their father was an abusive alcoholic. And his, one of the brothers had become like a man of faith and would never touch alcohol. And one of them had become a hardcore addict. And he asked him individually, he says, why? So he said to the one who's an alcoholic, and he goes, why do you think you're an alcoholic? And he goes, well, you know my father. That's exactly why I'm like that. So then he asked the brother who doesn't drink anything, why aren't you an alcoholic? And he goes, you know my father. That's exactly why I'm not. <laughs> and he said, it's just perception, same experience, but we can take totally different things from it. Yeah, we have choices and we don't have choices. I mean, some we're... We're predestined, you know, there's some things that we just follow certain ways, but yeah, people can change. We can change our perspective and it is, it's like magic because sometimes it's just one little shift and it can change everything for the good or the bad. But yeah, but I'm, I'm leaning toward the good these days and I'm just making these little shifts. I stopped beating myself up as far as becoming more. Uh, together and organized I'm just taking it little step by little step and it's it's working you know and I'm giving myself a break that as long as I'm moving forward even if it's just an inch a day then that's then I'm okay with that you know when when I'm on the downside on the dark side sometimes you know you got to isolate or do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself but when I'm coming back into the light that's when I know, boy, you better just get stuff done. You know, I got my list and I'm checking stuff off and, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. And what's, what's your favorite noise or sound? My favorite sound. Ooh, water, a nice river, 30 foot waterfall, just, you know, a five minute walk from oh, my nice. house. And, and uh, that's where my dog Shanka and I used to go all the time. Just to, it always, it just really, it's funny. The moving water grounds me. <laughs> yeah, it's huh. a very powerful thing. And like you said, it's a bit like you went there and just sat there with your eyes closed. And then like imagine the perception of someone that can't see how that feels to them. The the vibrations mm. and the crashing of water and the sound and. And the same someone that can't imagine looking at a waterfall and not being able to hear it at all. All that crashing water yeah. silent, but you can just see the motion. Like, I don't know what being, I don't know. what they could be feeling and seeing from it. It'd be incredible. Yeah, these are things. Um, yeah, I, I think I start talking to my friend Gail, my deaf friend more. She's so she's so sweet and open and uh, I feel like I could ask her anything. When it's clear, like the same thing with perception, if it was a silent movie, for example, and you could look at someone having a conversation and go, that person's having a lovely, kind conversation by their body language, their facial language. 
I think yes. for people, when sometimes we ask questions, they don't ask, like, if it was a silent movie, you go, well, you look angry, or you look like you're interrogating. And it's like, you're going to get the wrong response. But I think if you come from a smiley, loving place, a bit like you said, your friend Betty, like, I imagine she had a very smiley, loving way of asking questions. And it's like, if you yeah. come from that place, normally people don't get offended at all. Yeah. Well, she was one of those people. She could just walk up to anybody and start talking and there were a couple times when I was appalled, you know, and and uh, <laughs> like like oh god, during the the you know the gas crisis in the in the late seventies, early eighties, she <laughs> we went to a gas station and the attendant was obviously just overworked. There are long lines of cars, and she walks up to this guy who's much taller than her. And uh, I don't know what country he was from, but he wasn't, he wasn't white. And she like grabbed him by the collar, the, not strong, but just kind of held his collar and started fake slapping him <laughs> and said, why are the gas prices so high? I mean, it was her joke. And for a second, I thought he was going to strangle her, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I stepped, I physically stepped back. I was like, oh, we are in trouble now. <laughs> and then he smiled and I was like, wow. And then, you know, then later I go, please don't ever do anything like that again. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> um, and what do you love about yourself? Um. I I love that um, that I'm willing to close my eyes, take a breath, and step off the cliff. <laughs> Figure <laughs> it. You know, it's terrifying, but I, you know, I I don't accomplish everything I set out to do. But the things that I have done, I'm so glad that I wasn't afraid to try it. You know, because some of them came out to be, they all led me to where I am now, you know, as one step and one step and another step. And, but if I didn't have that courage, I never would have got where I am now. So I'm happy to be living a life with few regrets. Nice. And what do you love to see in other people? Oh, well, kindness. I love, I mean, I, I love all the stories. I love seeing somebody just a simple kindness to someone else without expecting anything in return. You know, you see those little moments where somebody will, you know, take, they'll, they'll stand there longer to hold the door for you when you're coming in the store, just thoughtful little things like that. And uh, it can make your day. You know, who knows what another person is feeling and to give them a smile or to, you know, if they drop something, pick it up and hand it back. Just those little yeah. things. You never know what a difference you, you've made for somebody. And, and that's the thing. You don't need to know. It's those yeah. people that do those things just because. Oh, nice. And the very last question, what do you love about animals? Now, this could be the animals in the wild or pets or any way you want to perceive animals. Yeah, I, I, I love that animals are instinctual and that they don't have uh, particular judgments. You know, I, with all the videos and everything, I love all these animal videos and uh I just saw one yesterday that was amazing. It was an alligator climbing into um, a little cave, like in the rocks with, where a duck and all her little ducklings were. <laughs> and it crawled in there and it snuggled around. They were all snuggling together because the mama duck had hatched the alligator ate. You know, so the <laughs> alligator, he thought it was mama. You know, I mean, or I saw a video going to let her cat in the house and there's a mouse sitting on the cat's back, like riding the, <laughs> the cat, <laughs> and, uh, you know, things like that, you know, just unlikely animal 
encounters and relationships. You know, another one, a deer was, you know, one of the trail cams are catching all these things these days. And, and you could see the deer is waiting and waiting. And here comes this little fat badger, you know, her best friend. <laughs> and then they walk through together. You know, I just love the animal. I don't know. They just have this, it feels that they have more capacity to, to accept each other and even to go against their predatory instincts in some ways, you know? Yeah, nice. Well, that's the end of the show. And I really, truly appreciate you sharing and being open and also bringing my friend's memories back to me so I could appreciate him some more. Not that I don't still I think him about him quite mm-hmm. often. It's always just beautiful to to remember him in that way as well. So thank you for that. And yeah, really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you, Luke. I really enjoyed talking with you too. And I'll send you those links today. I <clears throat> uh, may not be, but be able to do it before my next appointment, but I will get them to you. Yeah, no problem. I've got another interview coming up, so I won't be able to check it till later. So whatever you do will be uh, great. And I'll go check out your artwork as well. I'm really curious to see what you do. Great. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Please let me know when it comes out and i'll share yeah i will send you an email with all the updates later all right have a a beautiful day i think you said it's early in the morning for you so you've got the whole day ahead have a good one yeah we have a good evening (laughs) bye bye thank you so much for being here and listening to the selfish podcast i'm your host luke greenheart and i appreciate you being here don't forget to check out my youtube channel just search luke greenheart on youtube you'll find me check out my website lukegreenheart.com have an amazing day and stay tuned for more episodes i'll be interviewing guests on their path of self-development their paths of self getting to know them in much more intimacy much more depth sharing and connecting with all so we can have a much more blissful joyful and productive life together all right much love have a great day Thank you.